0: morning again, let me invite your attention to God's Word, Second Timothy chapter 3. You asked for it, and it's about persecution. Uh, when I started in ministry many years ago, I have a great love and respect for coaches, football coaches specifically. Uh, a coach, high school football coach in an area where we were serving at invited me to come on a Friday night and to pray with him and the football team. And so I show up at the stadium a little bit early. They told me where to go. And so I go into the locker room, and a lot of people in the locker room, I see the coach, and we interact with one another. And then he introduces me to the players and to the other coaches and the people in the room. And then he says this, men, take a knee. And then we all get down on our knees, and I prayed for those men in that locker room before they went out on the football field. He threw me a jersey and he said, come and hang out on the sidelines with us. Didn't know I was going to do that. So I'm on the sidelines and then they wanted me to travel with them to away games. I became their chaplain. But here's how God works. In the midst of that, we built relationships with one another. And to see God work in the lives of those players and coaches is such a joy for me to this day to think back on that. Because Jesus is at work in places where the gospel is being shared. So it was a great experience. Uh, today you ask for persecution 30 something years of ministry this is the first message i've ever prepared on persecution it's it's a subject dear to my heart it's a subject i have a great interest in it's a subject i've seen around the world in traveling and when you're around other believers in other countries you're going to see believers who understand what it means to suffer who understand what it means to face persecution again not because they're evil not because they're bad but because they name the name of jesus in life and they're persecuted i remember being in amsterdam and i remember being in asia i was standing with a senior pastor and a couple of associates in amsterdam and a senior pastor and a few associates in asia and i asked him very different times years apart I asked them a question on both of them, and they really basically gave the same answer. Here was a question. Tell me about your ministry, how you serve Christ, the church, those type things. What do you face in serving the Lord Jesus Christ? And they shared what they go through, being faithful to the gospel and being faithful to their call in Christ. And then here was a question. I said, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Would you be willing to give your physical life for him? Think about that in your own life. Because of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, would you be willing to give your personal life for him? Those pastors, Amsterdam, Asia, didn't have to have a little conference and talk together. That they didn't even look strange. But they looked at me with all seriousness and intent. And here's really what both of them said. If it would bring God the most glory, we would give him our lives today. Folks, that convicted me so, so much. Because when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who died on Calvary's cross, who was buried in a tomb but victorious over the grave, and who's alive today, who gave everything for you and for me, surrendered everything for you and for me. What is following the Lord Jesus Christ in your life costing you? See, here in America, what we often think about is, what am I going to get? So if I come to church or I live the Christian life. Lord, what are you going to give me in the midst of that? Believers around the world look at it and say, not so much what I'm going to get, but what can I give? What is it costing me to be faithful to Christ, to live for him, and to serve him? When you and I look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, you have to understand what Paul is teaching. Paul is writing to a group of believers. We understand as the church, but you got to understand when he's talking about the Christian life here. You have got to realize he's not talking about who's going to be the most popular in life. He's talking about people who are followers of Jesus who are going to be persecuted, that are going to suffer, suffer again, not because they're criminals, but suffer because they name the name that is above every name, and his name is Jesus. What about you and me? Do you look at these questions to consider? I want to walk through God's Word, but also talk about our lives. First one, how did persecution affect the early church? When you look in the book of Acts, you see persecution against those who are early believers. They were persecuted. They suffered, again, because of their relationship to Christ. But how did persecution affect the early church? Let me encourage you to write down these two words. One is scatter. When they were persecuted, they scattered... And what did Jesus say? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So persecution scattered the people of God. But the second word is share. As they scattered, they shared. They shared what? They shared the gospel of Jesus with other people. You could not silence the early believers. If they suffered, if they were persecuted, they scattered, but they continued to share the message of Jesus with other people. So that's how persecution affected the early church. It emboldened them to share the gospel even more. Number two, how does persecution affect churches in international settings, other places around the world? Here's what happens in those churches around the world. I've been in many of them. It makes them stronger. It makes them alive to the mission and purpose of God for them as a church. Persecution does not hurt them. Persecution leads them to be faithful to Christ. I was in Russia one time having dinner in a house one night. They called it a flat, so we're eating in this flat apartment. Deacon Boris was one of the leaders in the, in the church, and we're having dinner with him and his family, very gracious, very generous to us. And so I was talking to him because the Iron Curtain had fell. They were free in Russia, so we could go there and do evangelism and share the gospel of Christ. So I'm talking to this deacon who had been under communist rule and who is now free, and I said to him, you must be so excited and thankful to God that you're free in Christ free as a country. And he said, please don't take this the wrong way. He said, we are thankful for our freedom in Christ, there's no doubt. We are thankful for our freedom as a country, but he says, when I think about my life as a believer, when I think about us as a church, I would desire that we would go back under communist rule again. And much like I just did, a puzzled look on my face, I said, well, Deacon, I, what in the world do you mean by that? I mean, you're you're free in Jesus, yes, but you're free as a country. Why would you want to go back under communist rule? And here's what he said. Convicted me again, sitting in this flat apartment. He says, when we were persecuted, our church was so much stronger, healthier, and united than we are now. And he said, I'd rather be persecuted and have that than to be free and not have that. Persecution in other countries strengthens the local church. Number three, our American church is ready for persecution. That's a big question. Our American church is ready for persecution. I don't know what's going to happen in the years down the road, but I would just say to us, based on what Paul said to these believers here, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, he didn't say might be or could be, he said will be persecuted. I would say to us as believers at the church, get ready for persecution. Whether it be physical or verbal. And so what what our American church is ready for persecution, here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that we're not ready for persecution in this country as believers as a church. You say, Why do you say that? Here's why. Pastored many churches over the years. When it rains on Sunday morning, guess what happens to church attendance? It drops. If there's a major sporting event on a Saturday night that's late, Ainge I served in Tallahassee, Florida before coming here. Florida State Seminoles in 2013 won the national championship. 2014, when you would go to a Seminole football game, 80 to 90,000 people in the stadium, it was absolutely packed. What happened on those nights? They were generally, because of their... Well, how well they were playing. They got the time slot on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock. An 8 o'clock game didn't get over to midnight, sometimes 1 o'clock in the morning. Guess what happened to church attendance on Sunday morning following those football games? Extremely low. So, if weather affects us and the sports affect us, what's going to happen if we suffer persecution at the name of... Of Jesus in the American church? Fourth question. It gets real personal here. Are you ready for persecution? Are you ready? I have to look at that in my own life as a pastor. Am I ready to be persecuted? Am I ready to face criticism and ridicule, strong language that would oppose me as God's servant? Are we ready for that? Are you ready for that? Here's what I would say again. Years of pastoring, just being honest with you because I love you and care about you, want you to be equipped with the Word of God. When I think about, as believers, are we ready for persecution? I'm concerned about that. Because in my years of pastoring, please understand this, I've seen people walk away from local churches because of the music style. I've seen people walk away from the fellowship of the church because they did not like the color of the carpet or the color of the walls that were selected. I've seen people walk away because the service time on a Sunday morning was adjusted a little bit more to be able to accommodate more people. They didn't like that. They walked away. If we walk away because of those issues, what's going to happen if we suffer persecution because we're believers in Christ? Are you ready for persecution? Because when you say he's your savior, and he's the Lord of your life. What did Paul say again? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's walk through this together. Number one, learn from other disciples. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says you, talking about believers, talking to timothy but also Timothy is a pastor writing to other believers however you have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience my love my steadfastness my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me and the lists these cities where it happened that and what is paul saying is paul is saying again you have been faithful to christ you've been learning from me and so i want you to be faithful learn from other disciples we need one another in life we need to learn from one another in life I hope you know this morning that the local church matters. Being gathered with the people of God is not just going through the motions. You and I need one another as the people of God. So we come together, we worship together, we we disciple one another, we worship God, love people, share Jesus, we make disciples. We need the local church. I was in a restaurant recently with another pastor, young guy, about 20 years old, waiting on us. I wanted to learn from him. And I asked him what his thoughts were about the church. And and we talked a spiritual conversation about knowing Christ, but here's what he said. I don't really feel like the church is necessary for me in life. And we talked about that. I just hope you know today, whatever age you are, as a, as a as a kid, as a student, as an adult, the local church matters. Paul writing to the pastor, to the local church, you, you're following, you're being discipled. The local church matters for every single one of us. We need the local church in life. Now, when you think about the local church, what do we do? We make disciples. A disciple is someone who is a learner and a follower of Jesus. We're making disciples. We're helping people know him. We're helping people learn from him, and we're helping people follow him. Now, when Francis Chan one time was in Asia, I, heard, I was, heard him speak about this. He was in with a group of believers in Asia in that part of the world, and they were disciple-making. They were teaching one another in the Christian life. And he said it was so convicting because here's what they were teaching one another. The teaching was this. How do you respond to persecution for the glory of God? And as you and I think about discipleship, what do we need to be teaching one another? And I've given you some of these things. When we learn from other disciples, here's what we need to be teaching. Whatever age you are in this room or watching, here's what we need to be teaching. One, study God's Word. How do you study the Word of God in your life? Yes, you want to be fed on Sundays, but the other six days of your life, how do you study the Word of God? To read it and to study it and to memorize it, to meditate on it and to live it out. Study the Word of God. It should be a part of your life, every day of your life. Number two, worship Almighty God. How do we worship Him? Church isn't about entertainment. It's about worshiping the true and living God, the one who gave His life, His Son for you and me and His life for us. We worship Him. We adore Him. We magnify Him. Number three, share Jesus Christ. We, we need to be in a position that we have gospel conversations with people. So we share Christ with other people. So you need to be discipled. I need to be discipled. How do I take an everyday conversation about football or sports or restaurants or food and turn it into a gospel conversation? How do we do that? Number four, pray without ceasing. Yes, we pray before meals, but how do we pray as a lifestyle? Having a conversation with God in the spare moment just to say, God, I need your help. Will you come and rescue me or give me wisdom in this situation? We pray without ceasing. Number five, disciple your family. How do we teach you to disciple your family? Truth of the matter is, as a church, we get you for about two hours a week, maybe three sometimes. And so how do we teach moms and dads? grandparents to disciple your kids and your grandkids we need to learn from other believers so how do we help you in disciple making number six overcome spiritual persecution how do we help you be faithful to christ if persecution comes your way physically or verbally in your life so paul writing here to these believers pastor and believers You, however, you have followed. What's he doing? He's disciple-making. He's teaching them. They're learning from other believers, other disciples, exactly what we need to do. So if you're going to respond to persecution, you need a teachable spirit. Learn from God's people, people who are following Christ, who understand persecution. How did they handle that? How did they respond? You learn from other disciples. Number two, expect times of persecution. What do you and I expect in the Christian life? You listen to some preachers, you're going to expect casual Christianity. You're going to expect financial prosperity. Oh, if you give your life to Jesus, he's going to bless you financially. He's always going to take care of you. You'll never have no problems. You'll never suffer. You'll never have any illnesses. What planet are those people from? Uh, Because they're not true with the word of God. Because what did Paul say again? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Number one, what does the Bible reveal about persecution? In chapter chapter three, Second Timothy 3, it's what he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, a beautiful place in the Holy Land, the Mount of Beatitudes. Jesus there with his disciples said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying, Be happy, be blessed about that when you are persecuted. Acts chapter 5, another situation here we see from God's servants, Peter and John. They have been arrested, they have been beaten, they have been threatened. What does the Bible say about them? If you were arrested, if you were beaten, you were threatened, what would be your response? For them, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So for them, when they were arrested... They were beaten, they were threatened, they rejoiced. You didn't silence these men. Listen, they were still sharing the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. And then in Revelation 2, you see the church at Smyrna, uh, one of the seven churches in Asia Minor, what did he say to them? He said, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation." I mean, that's an encouraging word. And then he says, them, what? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So when you're persecuted, be faithful to me, even to the point of death. That's what the Bible reveals about persecution. It's not if, it's when. Number two, have you ever experienced persecution? Have you experienced that? I will say to you in a moment of transparency that I've never experienced physical persecution. I've never been beaten because of my relationship to Christ. I've never faced a single day behind bars in jail because of my relationship to Christ. But I have had people who verbally said some nasty things because of my relationship and my walk and my service to Christ. There was a guy who was serving as a pastor couple in the church, his father, 80-something years old, legally blind, without a relationship to Christ. I would go over to his house, his wife would open the door, invite me to come in, and he would be sitting on the couch. For a while, I'd be sitting in a chair in his living room talking to him about Jesus and a relationship with him. And then somewhere along the way, and I did this time and time and time again, that I would walk over to where he's at because he could see a silhouette. I would get real close to him. And as he's on the couch, then I would kneel down literally in front of him like this. And I would speak to him by his name literally right in front of him. And I would plead with him again and again and again, urge him by the Holy Spirit's power and conviction, surrender your life to Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Let him save you and change you today. I would do that again and again and again. And he would say every single time, thank you for sharing with me. Just not today. I'd pray for him, I'd leave, I'd go back sometime later. Same thing, repeat it again and again. He finally got to a point that he was admitted to a nursing facility And so I got a call one day that didn't know how much longer he was going to live. Ainge and I go to the nursing facility. His family's gathered around his bed. This time I'm not sitting with him on his couch in front of him, but I'm standing around a hospital bed, and I'm bending over in front of him on that hospital bed, pleading, urging him, inviting him to give his life to Jesus. The day before he took his final breath, he said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. The day before he passed away the next day I preached his funeral as the family asked me to I shared about those experiences of being in his house pleading with him to give his life to Christ I shared with the family and those who were at the funeral about the nursing facility standing over his bed pleading with him to give his life to Christ and he said yes to the Lord Jesus and I heard him say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ preached the funeral finished it did the graveside I go home. At that point, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, we had a phone on the wall, had a long cord, so you could walk around almost a house with that long cord. And so I'm outside playing basketball, had a nice basketball go, shooting hoops. And uh, Angie comes to the door, and she says, there's a phone call for you. And so I walk into the kitchen where the phone was on the wall, and took the phone, and, and I said, hello. And, and the lady on the phone said, now, are you the one who just preached? And she called the guy's name, his funeral. I said, yes, ma'am, that, that was me. And she says, I want you to know that was the sorriest funeral I've ever heard preached in my life. And she hung up the phone. I told him, what a strange call. I never got a chance to respond to her. So I go back outside shooting more basketball, hoops. That's what you do if you're from Kentucky. And, and the, although our football team's getting much better as well. And so I'm back outside shooting hoops again. Angie comes to the door. She says, phone call for you. So I go on the phone it's, and answer the phone. Hello. And the lady on the phone, she says, are you the one who just preached? And she called a guy's name, funeral. And I said, that, yes, that's me. And she said, I want you to know that was the worst funeral I've ever attended in my life. And then she didn't hang up on me. I said, no, why would you say that? I mean, why would you call me and say that? And then she, she told me why. Because I ultimately, she believed that in order to go to heaven, you had to be baptized. If you weren't baptized, you couldn't go to heaven. And I shared with her about his faith in Christ, his trust in the Lord Jesus. And she was not happy at all. And so I just asked her on the phone that day. I said, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or rude. But I said, you knew where he lived, right? She knew exactly where he lived at. And I said, can you, can you share with me, how many times did you go over to his house pleading with him to get to get right with jesus so he would know he would go to heaven and she said i never do go to his house i said ma'am in all due respect if i had to preach the funeral again today i would do it the same way and ma'am i like my approach very well because i pleaded with him and pleaded with him share the good news of christ for him to give his life to jesus so he could be saved i would do that again and again and again she hung up on me you may not face physical persecution. But be ready for verbal persecution in your life. Because if you're in a college, university setting, in your workplace, your school, sometimes in families and neighborhoods, and you stand faithful for Jesus in your life, as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of your life, you can expect people to come against you. And so I just wrote in my Bible that day, Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. I rejoiced and I just continued to share Jesus with other people. Number three, remain acquainted with the truth. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, he just says to them, while evil people and impostors were going from bad to worse, deceiving being deceived, but as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had been acquainted with the truth. At family members who taught him the word of God. He was acquainted with the truth of God. I was in Asia a number of years ago. Took a group with me over there. We were doing something that I had to leave Angie and the group because another brother in Christ and and, and myself, we were going somewhere else for about four days. So they were going this way, we were going this way. I get in a car. The driver's there. I'm sitting in the front passenger seat. There's a brother in Christ whose agent gets in the back and he's, he's sitting in the middle, leaning up to the front. And so I'll get his name and hear a little bit of his story. And He had just been arrested. He had been in the police department and they had threatened him to say, if we ever catch you with foreign Christians again, you will suffer the consequences. So he's going to be translating for me for about four days. And he's taking his cell phone apart. The driver's taking his cell phone apart because like us, they have tracking devices. They can tell where you are. So they're taking their cell phones apart so they can't be tracked. And I I looked around and and I said to him, I said, now, brother, if they find us out here, what we're going to be doing over the next three to four days, and and you're arrested again, they said you're going to suffer the consequences. Are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) He looked at me and he said, Now, you're familiar with the book of Acts, right? Uh, Yes, sir, I am familiar with the book of Acts. He said, Well, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says I must obey God rather than men. And he said, Pastor, you have to realize I'm all in. I'm all in. Let's go. Let's go. And I could get up in the mornings, never slept much at all those days because of the conditions, that's another story. But I'd get up in the mornings at the crack of dawn, right at daylight, and I would look outside, and this same brother in Christ, sitting on a little wooden stool, he'd be sitting out there in the morning, his head was buried in the Word of God. And I thought, why did he have such courage? Why did he have such faithfulness? Because he was acquainted with the sacred writing. He knew the word of God. He was not there to get something. He was there to give something. He knew that following Jesus would cost him his life. And he was willing to say yes to that. Look at these closing statements. I'm going to land the plane. Pray for me and all preachers to be bold and courageous in preaching God's truth. Church, you're a wonderful church to preach to. I just want to compliment you in that. You're not looking for feel-good messages. You're not looking for entertaining messages. You're not looking for self-help messages. You're looking for faithful messages to the Word of God. Thank you for being a congregation that desires to hear the truth of God in life. My desire as your pastor, as a preacher, is not to entertain you, not for self-help, not feel-good, but to preach and rightly divide the Word of truth and to preach the whole counsel of God. But there may be a day that comes somewhere where preaching the whole counsel of God with conviction and clarity and courage will cost us as preachers. So I just encourage you, pray for me, but all preachers, to be bold and courageous in preaching God's truth. Because out there, sometimes it's not received very well. Be faithful. Number two, take a stand and be holy, faithful, and surrendered. Take a stand and be faithful, holy, and surrendered. What I mean by that, holy means to be set apart. You allow Jesus to work in your life, faithful. You're faithful to Christ, no matter what it costs you, and surrendered. You surrender everything to the Lord Jesus. He surrendered everything to you. You surrender everything to him. Football players from Austin Peay, I encourage you, learn from your coaches. They're teaching you. they're, They're discipling. They're mentoring you. Learn from them, but also make sure you're faithful to Jesus, though, in your life. Be holy to him. Be faithful to him. Be surrendered to him. And let him use you in life. Take a stand in your life. Whether it's in a university classroom, among your family, wherever you may be, stand faithful for Jesus in your life. Number three, study the lives of believers who are all in and anticipate persecution. Look in God's word. How do they handle persecution? Read stuff like The Voice of the Martyrs or look around in other places. You're going to see the stories and testimonies of people who know what it's like to be persecuted. Other countries around the world, you know what it's like to suffer for your faith in Jesus. Learn from those individuals and anticipate persecution. Number four, share Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit guides and opens doors. Share Christ with people. Make Jesus known to people. Have gospel conversations. It's not just about sports. It's not just about food. It's not just about the the temperature and the weather. It's about Jesus in life. One of the great joys for me in life, and Angie and I uh, thought about him Friday night. We were in Nashville with some of our church family, whom we love, and we were coming by the Music City Center, downtown Nashville. Ange and I said the last time we were around Coach Bobby Bowden, Hall of Fame coach, legendary coach at Florida State, the last time we were around him was just a little over a year ago in this very place. It's the last time we physically saw him alive, was right here. And uh, we spent the day with him there because speaking. And, and so it just said to him as he got ready to leave, he said, he said, Preacher, I'm ready to go back to Tallahassee. And so we got his crew together to get him back to Tallahassee. Uh, he always would tell me when he's ready to leave a room, hey, I've got to go. And so we, we'd go. He said, I'm ready to go back to Tallahassee. And the last time we saw him um, embrace one another, he leaned over to Angie and kissed her on the cheek in a very respectful way. And we said to him, Coach, we'll see you later. Never said to him goodbye. was not going to do that. I'll see him one day in heaven. But, 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 but see you later. Here's what's Coach Bobby Bowden. The passion of his life. Won national championships. Legendary coach. Highly respected. When I preached his funeral just about a year ago, some of the greatest football coaches that you would know were in the arena when I preached his funeral. Here's what Coach Bowden would say. When it comes to football comes to all that comes with that. Coach Bowden said, now literally, he literally said this to his kids. I want you to know, I've been to the top of the mountain. And Coach Bowden said, there's nothing up there. There's nothing there. Coach Bowden lived his life. Yes to coach football. That was the platform the Lord gave him. But his passion was to share Jesus with people. Whether it was players, family members, other people, other platforms, share Christ. He said to his own kids, he said, if, if I win national championships, make it into the Hall of Fame, all those things, but you die and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, I've failed as a father in life. He said the same thing to his players. he gets his players together. He knew where every player was seated in that room. And he wanted to make sure that every player heard the gospel of Christ, even coaches, Jesus. His heart was set on sharing Jesus with other people. That's what matters. That's what matters. Number five, realize how the story ends and what the day is coming to. When I think about persecution, I think about how the story ends. I've read the end of this book. Do you have as well? Guess what? You want to use football terminology, folks? We win. We win. Yeah. We have an adversary, we have a devil. He's doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good news is he loses, and Jesus Christ is victor, and we win in Christ. And so whether you do it in this life or the life to come, one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I encourage you to do that today, not somewhere down the road, when you can't change that decision. Give your life to Christ persecution are you ready for it giving your life to Christ I want to encourage you this morning in this room those who are watching if you have never given your life to Jesus he loves you he loves you just as you are he lived a perfect sinless life he died on an old rugged cross he was buried in a tomb but bent to the holy land The good news is the stone is rolled away. The guards are no longer there. The tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is alive. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So whether you're a kid, a student, an adult, a football player, if you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, you love me, you gave your life for me, you're victorious over death and the grave. I've sinned against you and disobeyed you. I need to be forgiven. I ask you to save me today. Guess what? Eternity can change for you in this very moment. He'll save you. You need to follow him in baptism, church membership. You need a Christian life. You need to be bold and courageous. You need to take a stand for Jesus where you are. Surrender your life to him. He surrendered everything for you and for me. I'm asking you in this invitation, will you surrender everything to him and let him use you? Let's bow together. I'm going to pray. Our pastoral team is going to be here in front. Our prayer warriors are going to be over to the side. And if we can counsel you and help you from the Word of God about what it means to know Christ and a relationship with Him, you come this morning. You respond to us online because we'd love to have a conversation to serve you and to help you find freedom in Jesus. And you're going to do that when you surrender all to Him. Surrender all to Him. Surrender all to Him. Lord Jesus, thank you for surrendering everything for us. And so this morning, in this special place and time, Lord Jesus, whether we're believers or not yet believers, but we need to give our lives to Jesus today. Help us to surrender all to you. Jesus is the main thing. He's the priority of our lives. And thank you, Lord, in the midst of persecution, you promised us, if we're faithful, you'll give us the crown of life. And help us to not simply say, what am I going to get? What can I give? What is it costing me to follow Jesus And we will openly say, my yes is on the table. I give everything to follow him. Let us be that surrendered, Heavenly Father. And you move in this invitation for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name.